All right, you can be seated. Children's Church, they're headed out, kindergarten through sixth grade, Children's Church. If you're just getting here, Children's Church, we also have a nursery uh, if you would like to take your child in there. and um, We're so glad that you're here, so glad that uh, you could make it. Today, we're going to be in the book of Revelation. You notice there's no S on that. Uh, we add S to everything in the South. Revelations. Walmarts. How many of you go to Walmarts? Kroger's. Yeah, uh, you're like, it's not Kroger? It's not Kroger? It's Kroger. All right, and so we just add an S to everything. Um, but it's Revelation, the Revelation, okay? It's the Revelation. And it's the Revelation that was given to John. Now, let's talk about who John is real quick. John described himself, and this is how he described himself. He said, John... The disciple whom Jesus loved. Wouldn't that be nice to write about yourself? Yeah, so he wrote that about himself. He's the one. We also know he's the one that was there. All the others had abandoned, but he was there at the cross um, as Jesus was dying. And Jesus said, um, basically he said, this is your mother. Take care of my mother as if she was your mother. Uh, how incredible is that? Um, we know that John was... The only one that was not martyred from church history. Uh, they tried to kill him. He just wouldn't die. They tried to kill him. He wouldn't die. Uh, they eventually put him in exile. They, they put him on an island, and he was there. And it's while he was on that island that he got this revelation from God. Now, when we see this revelation, it's this... I want you to understand, he's writing as if this has already happened... Although John is writing things that are going to happen in the future. Now here's what we need to see with that. Is that God is so good, so faithful. I love that word. So faithful, so strong and powerful. As we look into the future, it's as if it has already happened because we can't derail this. And, and so as John's writing this, understand these are the things that will happen. And we're going to talk about... Jesus as King, King Jesus. And the reason that this is part of our worship, if you're not, if you weren't here last week, uh, Brian is putting together the worship songs, and then I'm able to come back and look into the scriptures and say, okay, here is why we sing these songs, so that when we sing them next time, they are more meaningful and powerful in our lives. Amen. Okay, so that we're not just at a place where we're just saying words. Sometimes we do that, and sometimes it's not our fault. Like, we just hadn't been taught that yet, and so we're singing about things that we hadn't been taught yet, and we're like, what is this? And we don't fully understand, and so this is a way that we can deepen our worship of God. Today, we're going to talk about Jesus as King. So in Revelation 19, we're going to see a different view of Jesus than what sometimes we have, and here's why. A lot of, like Christmas, we just celebrated Christmas, we celebrated the birth of Christ, the birth of Jesus, we see him as a baby in a manger, and, and, and we love that, we love to think about Jesus as, uh, as a baby, being tender, being born, placed, uh, Mary holding him, but we also see as he lived on this earth during this time, about 2,000 years ago, um, that as he lived, he was a very... We're going to use the word meek because meek is power under control. We'll come back to that. Meek, 
his power under control, very meek life. He was very tender. He was, um, some people would even say in some ways, like he allowed authorities to rule over him. And this is, again, meekness, strength under control. We even see this with Pilate. As Pilate said, you wouldn't have any authority over me if it wasn't given to you by my father. And so we, we see this. He allows these things to happen. And sometimes we have this wrong idea of Jesus. Like this quiet guy that just walks around and doesn't confront anybody. And um, maybe we have this idea that, that he is such a loving God that he will overlook the things the evil things that are in our life and the evil things that are in the world's life, but he doesn't overlook those things. Those things have to be dealt with. Evil and wickedness and wrongdoing have to be dealt with. And we're going to talk about that. He is king. Let's look here in Revelation 19, starting in verse 11. Revelation 19, starting in verse 11. It says, I saw heaven standing open. So it's like heaven's being ripped open. There in front of me, was a white horse. Its rider is called Faithful and True. When he judges or makes war, he is all, he's, also, he's always... Let me go back. Let me start over. All right. I heard somebody's reading the Bible. I'm like, what is going on? I knew it had to be a troublemaker. I knew it had to be a troublemaker. You're just trying to, it's okay. I'd let the Bible read to me all the time. I'm sorry I have ADHD. You can turn it off, it's fine. You don't know. <laughs> she, she was sitting on it. You're good, don't worry about it. We're going to start over. Woo, no, you're good. Well, no, no, don't put it down. Get it back out, you're good. Ooh, I about fell off the stage. Man. If you're visiting with us, this happens every week. Don't worry. I mean, for real, it doesn't get any better. This is it. Okay. Re- Revelation 19. That's right. Revelation 19. You, hey, it's fine. Get it out. It doesn't matter if it raises. Just, you can't find Okay, it's fine. All right. Just look on with Stephanie. She got it. All right. Revelation 19. I saw. <laughs> All right. Let me get It really doesn't get better. All right. I saw heaven standing open. There in front of me was a white horse. Its rider is called Faithful and True. When he judges or makes war, he is always fair. His eyes are like blazing fire. On his head are many crowns. A name written on him that only he knows. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. His name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses. They were dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of the rider's mouth is a sharp sword. He will strike down the nations with the sword. Scripture says he will rule them with an iron scepter. He stomps on the grapes of God's winepress. The winepress stands for the terrible anger of God who rules over all. Here is the name that is written on the rider's robe and on his thigh. The greatest king of all and the most powerful lord of all, or in some translation, the king of kings and the lord of lords. 
what we find here is a description of Jesus as king. He is king. Now let's talk about why he's king. One, he's king because he is the creator of all things. He's the creator of all the universe. We see this in Scripture. It says there was, it says everything was made through him, and there was nothing that was made that was made without him. So everything is made through Jesus. He's the creator of it all. He is God in the flesh. He is king. But he also is king because when he created, because he has many claims as king. But he's also king because when everything was created, do you remember he created and he put Adam and Eve in the garden? And, and he said, all this garden is yours. Really, the whole earth is yours. I give you dominion, authority over the earth. Subdue it or conquer it. Make it your own. Then be fruitful, multiply, fill it with children so that your children will bring praises to my name. Okay? You remember that? This is yes, this is no. If you don't know it, go back and read Genesis. Don't take my word for it. Never take the preacher's word for anything, okay? Always take the, the word of God. Okay? So, so go back and read it. But uh, he goes, okay, in this, I give you dominion. I give you authority. The authority that God had over the earth, he gave to Adam and Eve so that they could rule the earth. But then they gave this authority away. They rebelled against the king. They took the authority that the king had given them, rebelled against the king because the king, Jesus, God, had told them not to eat from a certain tree. It's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but said don't eat from this. And they ate from it, and when they did... The one who deceived them was Satan, and they then gave this dominion, this authority of the earth over to Satan, to what we hear, the prince uh, of the power of the air. And we see this, and this is best demonstrated, when Jesus um, is tempted by Satan, and Satan takes Jesus way up on a hill and shows him these kingdoms and said, if you will bow down and worship me, I will give you all these kingdoms. Jesus did not say, these aren't yours to give. He said, you shall worship the Lord your God only. But Jesus took authority back when he went to the cross and he reclaimed it. This is why he says all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Why was it given to him? Because he restored this authority. So because he took it back, he has right, the right to be earth's king. So he went to the cross, not just to save us, but to restore the authority that was given to man, given to Satan, and now it's Christ. He also has the right to be king because God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, they set up a kingdom on earth, uh, the nation of Israel, and made a promise to David and said, there will be a descendant of yours that will sit on the throne that will be faithful and true and will rule forever. And Jesus is, from the line of David, a descendant of David. Therefore, he also has this earthly claim as king. And so Jesus is king of the universe, king spiritually, king of the world, and he is able to and has the, the uh, qualifications to be the earthly king that sits on the throne of David and to rule forever. He is king. Amen. 
he is king. Now, what we see here in Revelation 19 is the king that is going to return. We get to see him in his full glory. We get to see him as, as he is. You know, when we see him in, in the New Testament, he is as he is, but he is still meek. He has still taking his power and keeping this power under control. Like, for instance, when he went to the cross to die, he had an army he could have called to deliver him, to save him. But he didn't call that army. He kept that strength under control and allowed people to kill him. And then he was resurrected. But what we see here is when he returns, his full glory will be seen. I, I, I love to, to, to see and understand this because this gives us a better idea of really the fullness of who Jesus is. If we only think about when he was on earth, we don't have this complete picture of who Jesus is. We don't understand his full power because he kept it under control. He, he kept it uh, contained. He, as he returns, his full power is displayed, and what we find is there is no one like him. Let's look at it and see what it says about him. It says that he's going to ride this white horse. It means purity and power. But let's talk about the rider that's on this horse. It says the rider is going to be or is called faithful and true, and he judges and makes war, and he's always right about it. This is unlike any king, political leader we have ever seen. And the reason why is because the political leaders and the kings that we know of, they judge and make war a lot of times for their own personal preference and gain. They're not fair. And a lot of times, it's let's face it, a lot of wars are fought over greed. Fought for greed to capture land, to capture resources. And so when he makes war, though, it's not unjust war. It's war to do away with, to destroy evil and wickedness. And it says his eyes are like blazing fire. I don't know if you've ever, um, you know, when I was in high school, they let us do some crazy things in shop. Like we got to melt down some aluminum and then pour it into molds. Can you imagine that today? Like, like we, we got it in the kiln. We were able to pick it up and pour melted, melted aluminum into molds. It's, for me to think about it, and we just had tennis shoes on. If we would have poured it on each other, that would have been terrible. Like I don't trust my kids with a hammer. They're walking through the house. I'm like, where are you going? I don't. And so, but we see this fire as fire is, is uh, added to or this heat is added to things. And we see this blazing fire. It, it reminds them that fire would cleanse and make more pure. It is a judgment. So if you take even aluminum, but uh, silver or gold is what most people think of, and you heat it and you send it through a flame, it burns off impurities and what you have left is pure, more pure. And these eyes that are blazing like fire show that he's 
coming to bring a judgment that will purify, a judgment that will be just and bring about something that the wickedness has been burned off from. And on his head are many crowns. Saying that I, they're saying here that he is the king of kings. That there is no one more powerful, no authority that can stand above him. That he has all authority and everything answers to him, including the universe. He can, and we see this all throughout scripture, he breaks even the laws of science because uh, for us, he does miracles, it's his creation, and so those he can, he can show himself as powerful over these things, so much so he can stop the universe from moving. And he did one time. He made the sun stand still, and when he did, the whole universe stopped. Because he's God, he's king. And so, so, so we see that he has these crowns. He has all authority, and no one is above him. And then we're going to come back to this, but he had a name written on him that only he knew. We'll come back to that. If I forget, raise your hand and remind me. Okay, uh, Verse 13, he was dressed in a robe dipped in blood. There's no one like him. And this word here is better translated, not dipped in blood, but sprinkled in blood. Now, back in the day when we were growing up, kids, watch, you won't believe this. Like when we played sports, they let us bleed. Like we could bleed on the court. We could bleed on the field. You know, we could bleed and it was okay. It's not a big, and you know what's really weird? We wanted to bleed. Right? So, so I did martial arts a long time, okay? Whenever I, I was younger, when my body was more spry, and so I did that for a long time. Uh, in fact, the second date that I ever took Alyssa to was to a tournament or a competition. And, um, I didn't do so good. I was distracted, I guess, fourth place. But anyway, so, but we had our uniforms. If you ever wonder why, like, karate uniforms, martial art uniforms, a lot of them are white, I'll tell you why. Now, they're not this way anymore because you can't bleed. But back then, they were white because you could bleed. And I'm going to tell you, when you would bleed on that uniform, you didn't want to get a new one because you wanted the blood to show. It would stain, and you wanted it to stain. Mama's over there. I can get this stain out. Don't get the stain out. Because the blood in the uniform showed that I went to battle. The, the, you, some of y'all, when you played football, you wanted blood on your, out, on, on your uniform, right? Yes. Like you were trying to get blood. You, I mean, somebody was telling you in between they'd make themselves bleed a little bit just so they put it on their pants. You didn't want to... You didn't want a clean uniform at the end of the game, did you? Because if you had a clean uniform, it meant you didn't play. Yeah, baseball, you ever had that, you know, you didn't get to play, so you just went and slid just so that people were like, he played, you know. You don't want to be clean at the end. You want to be dirty and, you know, you want some stains. And here, this blood stain, and it shows that Jesus here, because some kings would have robes that were clean, some commanders that would have robes that were clean, demonstrated that they never went to battle. A blood-dipped or blood-stained, blood-sprinkled robe war garment would show that this was a king that has gone to battle. And Jesus had this this or will have, he has a robe sprinkled in blood. It's his own blood showing that he went to battle. 
that he's not just a setting king, but he is one that will go to war and defend his people. If you went on the battlefield and you saw an army coming and the one that was leading it had this clean garment, you'd be like, not to worry. If you saw one coming and they, their, their, their war robe was stained, you're like, oh, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. It's kind of like some of you are in construction, and I'll move on. Some of you are in construction. You see the guy show up, and they got a brand-new tool belt. It's not wore, out, wore in at all, and you're like, oh, dang. I'm not working with that guy. But then you show up with a guy that's all wore out. He has duct tape and, and electrical wire holding his hammer on there. You're like, I'm working with that guy. Like, that's the guy. It just shows that there's knowledge and wisdom, and there is experience, and the blood on the garment of Christ showed that he had experience fighting a war. And we know this happened when he went to the cross. And his name is the Word of God. It's again, his name. This is a title when it says his name. This is a title. We see this in, in John. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And now we get to show up here in verse 14. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses. They were dressed in fine linen, white and clean. I want you to see something a little bit different. The robes of Jesus are stained in blood and ours are white as snow. Here's the thing. He fights our battle for us and we just get to live in the victory. Man, this is, this is so good. We, don't, we never have to get our hands dirty because our Christ went to the cross and took our punishment and was resurrected from the dead so that now we can experience His victory. So we are white and clean, and He is bloodstained. In 15, it says, he, Coming out of the rider's mouth is a sharp sword, and He will strike down the nations with the sword. And he will rule them with an iron scepter. He doesn't even have to have a sword because the word of his mouth is his weapon. The word of his mouth will strike down wickedness and evilness. The word of his mouth will, will destroy the evil of the world. The same voice that spoke things into existence. Let there be light will say let there be no more evil. And with that, the evil will be done away with. I don't know the exact words, but something like that. Let it be done. Let it be over with. He will strike them down with the voice, the sword of his tongue. And he will rule them with an iron scepter. Why an iron scepter? Because his word does not change. His word is truth, will always be truth, and will continue to be truth forever and ever. It's an iron scepter. And then, watch, he stomps on grapes of God's wine press. In some translation, I love it, he stomps on the grapes of the wrath of God's wine press. How many of you do not, have never heard of, never seen I Love Lucy? You don't even know what it is. Y'all know what it is? Y'all have seen I Love Lucy? No? Okay. Have you, yeah? You've seen it? You don't know what that is? No? You know what? All right. None of the students know what that is. That's okay. I asked some of my students the other day what a VCR is. Like two-thirds had no idea what a VCR. You're getting old, folks. How many of you had an 8-track in your car growing up? Yeah. Hey, we started a senior adult ministry. We met yesterday. Talked to me. Anyway, so. <laughs> but in the Isle of Luke, that one of the most famous episodes was when she's stomping on the grapes. Y'all remember that? Okay. 
All right, so for any of you who have never seen that, let me give you a picture. You put grapes into like a half barrel, okay? No top on it. It could be big. It could just be a big container. And you want the juice out of the grapes. And so what do you do? You get in there with your bare feet. This sounds gross, doesn't it? You get in there with your bare feet. Hopefully you cleaned them beforehand, okay? And then you start squishing them. You start stomping on the grapes, and the juice that is stored in the grapes starts to pour out a spigot into another container, so you're pressing out the juice that's in the grape. Yeah? You got it? It says that Jesus is the king that stomps the grapes of God's wine, uh, wrath wine press. That he will press the wrath that's stored in the grapes. Stored. He will press that wrath out on a world that is evil and wicked and has repel, rebelled against him. We'll come back. And it says, Here is the name that is written on the rider's robe and on his thigh. Now, some people think it's on the robe and the thigh. Some, some people, this is very poor translation, say it's on the robe. But most likely, the right translation is this is a tattoo that is written on his thigh. And it says, King of Kings. And Lord of Lords, or here, the greatest king of all, the most powerful Lord of all, and it's written on his thigh. Why his thigh? Because that's where the Lord that's where the sword would lay. And if you get a tattoo, at least it should mean something. And what it means is, I am a king, I'm the king of kings, I'm the Lord of Lords, and if you want to try me, come get you some. Amen. It's the King of Kings. Lord of Lords, where the sword would be, and it's tattooed. Why is it tattooed? Because it can never be taken off, and it can never be removed. It's permanent. He will always be King of Kings, and always be Lord of Lords. And anybody who wants to challenge that can, but will find out that he wears many crowns. So there's no one like him. In fact, it says here, it says in 12, we'll come back to it, a name is written on him, that only he knows. This was weird for me. Like, why would you have a name that only you know? That'd be weird, wouldn't it? Until I started studying and looking, and people that are way smarter than me helped me understand this, is, and this is where it was probably a name. It's probably a name that's written on his forehead. Again, another tattoo. But it's a name that is so great and so mighty that John could not comprehend the meaning of the name that was written on Jesus. And we say the name, it's a, it, again, like his name is the word of God. It is, a, it is a title. The title that was given to Jesus is so, uh, so ununderstandable, so impressive, so great that our human minds can't understand it. That he is that great. That if you have this small understanding as Jesus being God, here's the problem. You think you understand something that can't be understood. He is so impressive as king that we can't comprehend how impressive he really is. There's no one like him. And then we see that he is a king of wrath and mercy. 
We see it right here. First, we see he's a king of wrath because he stomps the grapes of God's winepress or he stomps the wrath out of the grapes. And what we see is the wrath of God is toward those that have rebelled against him as king. Like the wrath of God is, is, is going to be poured out, going to be stomped out. It's going to be given to those people who have rebelled against Jesus as king, that have said that I am king, that I'm the one that should be in charge of my own life. And so the wrath, but we also see more so that he is a king of mercy. Why hasn't he returned yet? Because he's waiting for some of you to join his kingdom. He's waiting for some of you to say, yes, I make a terrible king and you make a wonderful king. I want to be a citizen of your kingdom. I I want to, look, repent. I want to rebel against the world and I want to align myself with you. I want to place myself under the authority, which is Jesus. So, So this is why he hadn't come back yet, but when he does... That time will be done and the blazing fire of the eyes and the stomping of the grapes will come from the king of kings that that has a tongue of a sword that will banish and pour out the wrath of God on these people. So much so that later, man, you got to see this picture. He's coming against and these people that have really, they've lined up against him and they want to destroy him. They want to war against him. A, A herald, another angel says... Birds of prey gather together for the feast of God. You're about to eat kings and princes. All those people who come against the king of kings are about to lay dead, and you get to eat. Watch it. Pick their bones. Gather together. Vultures and eagles and hawks gather together and feast on the ones who rebelled against the king of kings. As much as he is a king of wrath, even more so, he's a king of mercy. We see this because he has a robe dipped in blood. The blood is his own, the blood that was shed on the cross. So that any one of us who place our faith in him, any of us that place our faith in him can be saved from the wrath of God. And not just saved from the wrath of God, but be saved from and saved into the mercies of God. In fact, let's look here in Revelation 21. The mercy of God. If we were to place our faith in Jesus, what would happen? It says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. It was coming down out of heaven from, uh, from God. It was prepared like a, uh, like a bride, beautiful dress for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne. Now, this isn't, this isn't Jesus speaking. This is... An angel from the throne room, okay? It said, look, God now makes his home with the people. He will live with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. Now listen to the mercy of God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death. And there will be no more sadness And there will be no more crying or pain. Things are no longer the way they used to be. The king will live among us. Man, I love this. We see this. And John, again, it says that the word took up residence among us. 
Now, the first time he came and took up residence among us physically, we killed him and God resurrected him. And then, look, right now the Holy Spirit lives within us, okay, spiritually here. But we're talking physically God will live among us, that Jesus will live among us sitting on the throne. He will make his home with us. And when he does, it says our king will set us free from the consequence of sin. The consequence of sin is death and everything that comes with it. Death is our enemy. Death is what came. The consequence of sin is death. And, and death comes in a lot of forms. Death in relationships, death in finances, death in forgiveness. And then we have bitterness that comes from death. All these things are symptoms of the death that we have in our life. And so the, our king will set us free from the very consequence of sin and all the symptoms that come with it. And so what he'll do is he will come to us. And it says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, and there will be no more sadness, and there will be no more crying or pain. Can you imagine a world where you never have to fear the loss of someone? This is a new thought for me, and, and, and I don't guess I thought about this until in between services. And parents, you get this. Anytime you have a loved one that leaves your house, a child that leaves, you always have somewhere in your mind what if they don't come back? One day that fear will not exist. Amen. One day that fear will never exist. Students, you know that sadness that you have some days? You're just sad. You don't know why you're sad, especially girls. You're just sad. One day that feeling will never exist because King Jesus will destroy that. And then one day where sometimes, and I, and I deal with this sometimes, uh, you have this depression that comes in and you just don't want to get up and everything just doesn't seem right and you're not even know, sometimes you're just like, I don't even know why I'm here. I don't even think I'm making a difference and all that. All that will be destroyed by our king. Amen. Our king that sits on the throne will set us free from the consequence of sin. And he will heal broken relationships, broken hearts. He will heal broken paths. He'll take all those pieces and put those things back together. And I love how personal this is. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. Every tear. Our king is a powerful king. And he directs that power towards us. He's a powerful king. Now Jesus starts to speak. This was the herald from his, his throne room. But now Jesus picks up in verse 5. It says, He who was sitting on the throne, this is Jesus, this is our king. This is what our king said. I'm making everything new. Then he said, write this down. You can trust these words. They are true. Why would Jesus say, trust me in this? He's saying, this is important. This is something that seems so unbelievable, but know that it's true. In spite of who you are, in spite of what you've done, in spite of how unfaithful you are, these words will still be true. These words will still be true. You can trust them. You can take them to the bank. 
In verse 6, he said, He said to me, It is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. That means he controlled the beginning of the story and he controls the end of the story and everything in between. I will give water to anyone who is thirsty. The water will come from the spring of the water of life. It doesn't cost anything. Those who have victory will receive all this from me. I will be their God and they will be my children. King Jesus. Jesus is a king that allows us to live in victory now and in the future. Here's how we live in victory now. Jesus went to the cross. He won the war. He won the game. This is why I like to think of it. It's like halftime, but Jesus has run the score up so high, no way, there's no way the enemy could ever win. And in fact, he ran it up so high, and he always plays offense because he never plays defense. The enemy really doesn't get to score. And so we're at halftime, and the score's so high, we know we're going to win. It's just not the end of the game yet. And so now he's the alpha and the omega, and we can live in victory now, but we're also hoping for, looking forward to when that clock hits 0-0, zero, zero, and we storm the field, and we celebrate in the victory that's already been won. Amen. That, that, so we, our Jesus is king that allows us to live in victory. Jesus is a king that's generous. It says, I will give anybody, look, I will give water to anyone who is thirsty, anyone who is in need, anyone who is not complete, anyone who needs me, I will give to them freely, and it won't cost anything. I won't demand anything from them. I will just give to them freely. He's a generous King and kings, man, throughout history, we know kings and people in authority that they're not known for being generous. Most of the time, they're known for being greedy. I mean, we're about to hit taxes season. Man, don't you love tax season? Yeah, and and, and tax season, what do you always say? Man, they got enough. Why they want more? You don't ever think, man, this government, it gives me too much. They need to quit giving anybody. Nobody. But when we have King Jesus, it won't be that he keeps taking. We're going to have he keeps giving. He keeps giving King Jesus. And then Jesus is a king that is loving. He could be a king that sets himself up and we could just be serfs. And I would love to be a serf in the kingdom of God. A peasant. A servant. But we have a king that is loving. So it says down here, I will be their God and they will be my children. Man, I have no right to be a child of God except for Jesus said, I bought the right on the cross for you to have the title child. Like He signed my adoption papers in his blood. And that's the only reason that I get to share in this inheritance which he's going to give us. Jesus is a king that is loving. Man, what I hope today is that we have had our mind transformed in the thinking of who Jesus is. We see Jesus, just picture him with these eyes of fire on a white horse tattooed with king of king, lord of lords. With mouth, with every word that comes out of his mouth, 
could destroy his enemy. That Jesus is the same Jesus that was born on Christmas. That Jesus is the same Jesus that fed the 5,000. That Jesus is the same Jesus, the same Jesus that was confronted by the Pharisees and arrested by the Pharisees and nailed to the cross. It's just that he was meek. I can think of it this way. You ever seen a big old, big old dog that's just laying there, chilling, and you got this little puppy chewing on that old ear? That big dog could destroy that puppy any minute. All it would take is one bite. But that old dog keeps his power under control because he understands the weakness of that puppy and the ignorance of that puppy. Jesus, when he was on earth, was like that. He understood the weakness of us. He he understood the ignorance that we had. And at any moment, he could have just said, no more. And, and, and when I say no more, like the whole universe just, because he holds it together. He just said, you're on your own. But this Jesus that we see in the revelation that was given to John is the same Jesus, the same king. He just kept that power under control. And he looked at Pilate. And says, you have authority because it's been given to you by my Father so that you basically, and I'm going to add to it, read between the lines, so that you can kill me. And my blood can be sprinkled on my robes so one day I can bring my army back and I can make it all new and we live together as a family. Now, what does this mean for us? How does this affect the way we live? And it should be huge. Like, like we should see now that we have a king and that we have a responsibility to that king. I was able to, uh, I was speaking to D now this weekend in Lamar County and, and God just gave me something. And, and, and have you ever heard, where's your identity? Like your identity is in Christ. My identity is this or my identity is that you need to have your and for me for a long time that was such a weird concept I didn't get it okay like you know you kind of get it, you kind of understand it and God said here watch this guys you ready our identity is founded and based on our responsibilities let me explain you know when I became a father when I took on the responsibility or had the responsibility of children You know when my identity changed from single to husband? When I took on the responsibility of being a husband. And for us, we have a responsibility as servants of a king. We have a responsibility as a child of the king. Do we do anything for salvation? Absolutely nothing. Our garments are clean. Our king fought the battle. But once we come into his house, here is how I'd like to see it for us, okay? 
when I was younger, you would go out, and your parents used to say before phones and all this, and they'd say, you remember, when you're out there, you represent me. You represent me. And, and, and the Scripture tells us over and over that, that we do our good works before men so that they can see those good works and do what? Glorify our Father. Praise our Father that we represent Him in the way that we live. Our responsibility, our identity is a child of Christ, a child of God. Therefore, we have a responsibility to live as a child of God so that our life can point people to the King. So that they can leave the rebellion of the world and come to the kingdom of Christ. And so then what we do is we just start to live, look, act, and think like our Jesus. We saw in here that he's generous. And if he's generous, that means we should be generous. And if somebody asks you why you're so generous, you just say, I'm generous because my father is generous. You should be forgiving. Why should you be forgiving? Because our king is forgiving. And if our king is forgiving, then we should be forgiving. And so we start to take on the characteristics of our king, of our country. Man, I don't want to convince you, but... I mean, you go to a country and they have certain characteristics, certain things they eat, certain things they say. You start to take on the characteristics. You start to look like that nation. It's time that we start to look like the nation to which we belong. The king that we serve. And so as we stand, if you'll stand, we're going to open up the altar and we're going to be singing about King Jesus. We're going to be singing about how he's high and he's lifted up and how good he is and how he's going to wipe the tears from our eyes. All those things. And we're going to open up the altar and some of you, some of us might need to come and just bow before the king. He's king and what do we do before a king? We bow. Some of us need to come and bow before the king to his authority. And some of us might need to come and just say, God, I need help in this area. I know you're generous and I'm not. I, I, I know you're forgiving and I'm not. I know that you're loving and I'm not. Let me be more like you. But whatever it is that the Lord would have you do, you follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Lord Father, I thank you. Jesus, thank you for being my king. Thank you for being a, a battle-proven king. Death took its best shot and you got up. Well, thank you for saving me from the wrath that I deserve. The more I understand it, the more I see it in the scripture the more and the better I understand how powerful and terrifying your wrath is. But on the other hand, I thank you that I'm able to be called a child. Lord, you just didn't save me from your wrath. You brought me into your promise. 
into your blessing, into your inheritance. I get to see you as, as a loving king. That one day as it all comes to a close, the sadness and the pain and the bitterness and the, and the health problems and the loss and everything else this world has, you as my king. will wipe away. Church, you respond as the Holy Spirit leads you.